and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and I'm happy today to be joined with Michael Rubino. He is an innovative expert in mold contamination and remediation. So he's recently written a book called Mold Medic, and in this book, he advises readers about how to choose a mold remediation company and the exact process that should be used But he also explains how to recover from mold-related illnesses, and it's just perfect for those who are interested in achieving and maintaining robust health, and that's why I wanted to have him on, because this is an important topic that can be kind of the secret thing that's negatively impacting our health. And if we're trying to achieve higher states of consciousness, We want the body vehicle to be in optimal health. We want to maintain a high state of vibration and vitality in the body helps us to keep that high vibration. So when we're dealing with something like mold or or an illness and we're not sure how we get to the root of it, it can uh, negatively impact what we're trying to achieve in our our practices of elevating our consciousness. So, So welcome, Michael. Thanks for Thank being you so here. much for hiring me. Yeah, so why don't you start with just giving us a bit about your background and how how did you come to become the mold medic? Yes, absolutely. So you know, basically, my my father was a contractor since I'm five years old. So I've been around construction my entire life, from buildings, homes, etc. And um, later in life, after college, I went back home and I started working for my dad again. And you know, I'm. Uh, ripe age of 19 years old. And uh, I started getting into the fire restoration division, which was kind of like his main focus. And if you, if you can, if you can imagine a fire is put out by using a ton of water. Mm, And so that creates that opportunity for mold to grow. So often enough, we usually what happens just to give people a frame of reference. When you have a fire, it's, it's not like your, your house gets put back together the next day. You know, there's a, there's a, a long waiting process of the insurance companies trying to validate what needs to be done to repair the home. And so your house could be sitting there soaking wet, you know, for 30 days or more. Oh, wow. And that, that creates a lot of opportunity for mold to grow considering mold can grow in as quickly as 48 hours. Oh. So the, the biggest problem I saw at that point in my life was when you're, you're meeting with these insurance companies, you're saying, Hey, look, you know, there's mold here. You know, we obviously know about the fire. We know what has to be done for that, but what about the mold? And, you know, we grew up in a society where everyone's like, yeah, you throw some bleach on it or you paint over it. That was kind of this misconception. And, you know, it really wasn't until the late eighties and nineties where people started doing studies on how it mold impacts your health. And so, you know, when I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, this is a big problem that no one seems to want to solve. I started getting very interested in mold, you know, fast forward you know, over a decade later and I've helped over 500 families who are immune compromised get through having mold exposure in their home. And I think that's important to note because our industry is, is really, really <laughs> has a great disparity between, you know, who's right, who's wrong, how to do this and how not to do it. So if you had mold right now and you called three companies to come and give you an estimate, you'd get three very, very different approaches, very different cost estimates, and you would be lost trying to figure out, well, who's right, who's wrong, and what do I do about this? So when I look at the systemic issues in our industry, I realized that there's three pillars that I found that make mold remediation successful. 
And it's, you want to get rid of the source of colonization of mold. Now, what that means is mold is a living organism. And as it grows, it, it reproduces and it colonizes and creates colonies together. So if you have, let's say, a leak in your window and mold starts to grow inside your wall cavity right below that window, you know, what it does is it actively grows and reproduces it inside that wall cavity. And it just expands and expands and expands. Now, when you do a remediation, industry standard says, you, know, you just rip out that wall, you spray some chemicals, and that's considered a standard remediation. The problem with that is it's missing the other two points, which is one, how do you solve the, the leak, right? You have to mm -hmm. make sure that there's somebody repairing the window as needed, whether it's replacing it, fixing the counter flashing, et cetera. And the other part of that, again, that's, that's just not talked about at all, is the contamination that's being produced by the mold in the wall cavity. So mold, mold is kind of like weeds in, in this frame of reference where, you know, when you have weeds in your front lawn, they're constantly producing seeds, they get into the air, they fall onto the soil, you get some moisture and it starts to grow. It's the same concept where instead of seeds, it's, it's actually reproducing by methods of called spores. So these spores get into the air and they actually impact the space. Now that's what actually is causing these adverse health reactions because you're breathing in these spores and guess what? Your body's made of mostly water and you're creating this environment where mold can grow. Now, so mold one actually starts to grow inside your body. It actually can start to grow inside your body. And that is what is causing like the, the immunosuppressant. Is it for anybody that w this would have an adverse health well, consequence? So so, you know, there's a lot of study that needs to be done on that. What we do know right now that what I can confirm is that one in four people have a immune compromised immune system that doesn't allow them to detoxify mold from their body in the same regard as, as most of the population. Oh, interesting. So one in four people, that's 25% of the population. Mm -hmm. So that's for me, I mainly work with that subset of the population who's really sensitive and needs a much more thorough care than the industry standards give yeah. off right now. Um, you know, what we don't know is how much exposure does that, does a person need to become immune compromised? And I think that's kind of where the, the gap needs to be filled in the, in the medical community. What I, what I like to look at things is if, you know, if we have a, a high level of toxic mold, whether you're healthy or not, it's probably a good idea to eradicate it right. so that it, because we don't know the long-term effects of that. So that, that's kind of one of the, one of the biggest issues that I've come across in my industry. And to top it off on top of the spores, certain species of, of uh, molds produce what's called mycotoxins. Mycotoxins are, is another term for fungal toxins. And some of those have been studied to be carcinogenic, um, very, very toxigenic, pathogenic, and allergenic. So they can cause all kinds of symptoms from allergy-like symptoms to neurological symptoms, um, even to the increasing the toxic load on your body. And again, these are going to be much more uh, reactive to somebody who is immune compromised for one reason or another. So it's very interesting how when I started looking at this from a scientific perspective and how it ties into how it can impact the person, especially with regards to this, the hypersensitive population, I saw such a huge opportunity to make the change that's really needed to help these people. Mm, that's great. So, so you mentioned that one of those things is um, 
a more thorough remediation. So you, you yeah. gave the example of the window, you know, so it's not just about addressing the mold because if you don't fix the cause of it, it will just keep coming back. Exactly. What are some other things like that that you found to be helpful? So the, the contamination part is something that our entire industry just completely disregards. Um, you know, when you have mold in that, in that wall cavity, as I mentioned earlier, and it produces that contamination, whether it's mold spores or the toxins, um, as well as, I mean, there's other environmental contaminants that you, you can be concerned about from a water event, such as bacteria and endotoxins, which are bacteria-produced toxins. You, you want to clean that stuff up. So how you do that is you need to HEPA vacuum the environment. You need to fog the environment with like an antimicrobial disinfectant and actually remove those contaminants from the environment. Now, if you look, if you look at the big picture, you have an HVAC system that's in your home. That's like the lungs of the home, right? right. So when you have contamination getting aerosolized, how easy is it, do you think, to get inside that HVAC system and start to circulate around the house? And so for me, it's very dangerous that our industry does not address this because the problem that starts off as a, a small issue in a window can become a much, much larger problem. The other thing, the other component to think about with the HVAC system isn't just the fact that it can circulate around the house. The coil, which creates the, you know, which allows the air, the air to be conditioned when it's going through an HVAC system, if you have central air, the coil constantly condensates. And so now you're, you're, you're having this environment where there's a constant moisture present that can allow these spores to start to grow in the coil, you know, it should, should it, should the mold spore get to the coil and things like that. So now that HVAC system can go from a clean, normal system to a mold factory in and of itself and yeah. start reproducing and spreading it even more rapidly. So that's why when I look, when I looked at the industry as a whole and I saw how things were being done and I saw that, you know, many of my clients uh, have been through even sometimes two remediations, you know, finding another company first and then finally coming and finding us, we're seeing that issue. So I realized this is an industry-wide problem. Mm. Right. So so what do people need to be, um, what do they need to be looking for, first of all, like if they, because some it seems kind of hidden, I mean, you may yeah. have a fire or something like you mentioned where it's that's just kind of goes with the territory. But, you know, I know I have a neighbor and we live in a new housing estate, you know, new housing development. And um, she she can tell just by smelling like she's a very yeah. she's really sensitive to like mold and mildew by smell. So she was like convinced when she went down in her basement. She's like, there is mold down here. I can smell it. And then the the um, builder was like, or whoever, she contacted somebody and they were like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. But then she contacted a third party who did some pH testing and they did find. Um, yeah. But what would be some, some um, indicators for somebody that this may be an issue? Well, sensor, I think, is the best the best starting point, you know, looking at it from using your sight and your smell. I think those are the, the two first very steps to this. If you see brown circles or staining on your drywall, that obviously shows you that there was a water damage event, whether it was repaired or not. And if it did not dry in as quickly as 48 hours, there's a potential for mold to be present behind that drywall. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you see something that, that looks like it has water damage, I, I, it's probably a good idea to get it tested and make sure that there's not mold, that it dried fast enough. The other thing is, is the smell. When you, when you smell that, that rancid, musty odor, you got to trust your gut instinct. That means that there's a high moisture content somewhere and potentially mold growing. So there's, there's two things that would produce that musty odor. <clears throat> when you have cement, like a cinder block or just a poured cement, when that gets moist, it creates that noxious smell. But also mold produces MVOCs. So VOC stands for a volatile organic compound. And the microbial VOCs will also give off that, that musty odor. The best uh, way I can kind of describe VOCs to you is if you've ever painted your house and you get that like new paint smell, mm-hmm. that's, that's the VOC that's off-gassing from the paint. So basically, as, as things off-gas, you're going to get that smell, which is you know, attributed to the volatile organic compounds. So you're using, using your sight and smell and, and identifying if something odd is going on, that would be a good first sign of, hey, I need to get tested. Um, you know, I always, I always tell people, especially your friend who could totally smell it and just like, I knew there was mold in here. Trust your body. You know, if you, if something is not going right, if you feel different, uh, after something like that could have occurred, some sort of water event, um, or if, if, you know, all of a sudden you start feeling strange and a lot of the symptoms you'll get from mold, it's very hard to diagnose because there's so many other things out there with similar symptoms. So the, the most common ones, you're going to have like an allergic type reaction. Um, you'll have headaches, uh, chronic fatigue, brain fog, um, you know, some, some weird skin rashes. Those are a lot of the most common effects that, that people complain about with, with high levels of mold exposure. So those are things to consider. Like if you're going to a doctor and you're like, man, I'm just always tired. I can't figure this out. And the doctors are kind of sending you around in a circle and they're not really sure what's wrong with you might be a time to get a check for mold because, you know, our environment impacts us much more than we think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in order to have a clear mind and clear body, you really got to make sure that, you know, the food you're eating is good, the water you're drinking is good, and the air that you're breathing in is good as well. Right. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Well, that's that's great info. Um, I know that that we have a basement here in our house and we have a couple of um, dehumidifiers that we yeah. use. Do you, and I know I, I just in the course of my life have advised people who might be like new homeowners or something and, and they have a basement and they don't realize, you know, that, yeah. that they get damp. Um, do you recommend across the board if you have a basement that you, you know, the probably, it probably is going to get damp and to use dehumidifiers or yes. is that not as yeah, I, I no, dehumidification is is so key. You know, and it's not just just a basement. It's also if you're in a humid climate that's got high relative humidity year round, you'll want to have some sort of dehumidification system set up for your house. What happens is as soon as you cross that threshold of fifty percent relative humidity or higher, you start to get into that danger zone where it's actually uh, a good condition for mold to grow. And we don't want good conditions for mold to grow in our house. In order to pre- prevent mold from growing in our house, we really need to control those conditions. So maintaining the house to prevent leaks, controlling the humidity, and just doing routine you know, inspections like checking the roof every year, checking the integrity of the windows and doors every year, things like that. The other, the other key is 
you want to make sure that the slope and the grading is away from the house. Mm -hmm. So if you, if your house happens to be positioned at the bottom of a hill, for instance, you may want to consider consulting with a drainage specialist to create like a drainage plan so that as the water comes rolling towards the house, it has a way to drain away from the house as opposed to resting up against the foundation. Mm -hmm. We have what's called hydrostatic pressure. And that's basically when the force of the water is, is greater than the protection we have in the interior of the structure, you'll get, you know, water forcing through the foundation um, through hydrostatic pressure, which will create, you know, a condition where mold can grow inside your home. So it's totally, it's really, really important. The other thing is when you look at the grading outside, you want to make sure whatever your exterior may be made out of, whether it's siding, stucco, brick, et cetera, you want to make sure that where the, the framing of the house starts. So like if you're inside your house and you look at the bottom of the wall, you'll see your baseboard. That's that bottom of the baseboard is basically the level of where the framing sits on. You want to make sure you don't have the dirt up higher than that outside, mm -hmm. because then you have this opportunity where moisture is resting against the frame of the house and it can start to rot out the frame of the bottom of the house and allow a pathway for moisture and mold to start to grow there. So those are like the main tricks of the trade. The other thing I, I want to recommend is clean out your gutters all the time, you know, like habitually, because when you have clogged gutters, water is just going to pour right, you know, right there next to the foundation of the house and create this opportunity where that hydrostatic pressure is going to be greater because of the volume of water being there. So, you know, making sure that the gutters are clean and actually pour the water away from the house and not drop it right next to it. Okay. All right. That's good info. So, um, what about getting healthy, getting healthy again, if you have been impacted and you have done the remediation and, and so Yeah, that's a great question. So <clears throat> we work with a lot of holistic functional medicine, integrative medicine doctors, um, you know, mainly ones that understand mold toxicity is not that if you go to a pediatric doctor, just a, a regular, regular clinical medical doctor, odds are that they don't really have much background in, in, in understanding mold and the effects of mold. So you want to try to, we, we use the terminology mold literate. So you can, you know, I mean, you can literally search on Google mold literate doctor in my area oh, really? and you'll probably find some good results. Yeah. Okay. But basically what, what they do is depending on what your tests show, they'll usually test you for mold toxicity. They'll test you for mycotoxins, um, usually bacterial toxins. They want to see if there's anything that could be impacting, you know, your environment. And usually if you get a mold test done in your house, and let's say you have gliotoxin, for instance, and you have high levels of gliotoxin in your body, it's a good indicator that your the environment has more in your environment that you're exposed to faster than your body's able to remove it and detoxify. So a lot of times they'll prescribe like antifungals, um, specific binders to help bind um, the toxins from your body and excrete it out. And, you know, essentially uh, they'll, they'll probably coach you on changing your diet to like an anti-inflammatory type diet so that, you know, cause a lot of people, what happens when you have mold exposure, one of the, one of the interesting symptoms is you get really inflamed where your organs are inflamed your body starts to retain more water. So you kind of feel a little more fluffy than usual and, and un uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And by switching to that anti-inflammatory diet, 
you're helping detoxify faster and kind of get rid of that water retention and, and it, it'll definitely change the way you feel. So, you know, there's, there's obviously something you can do about it. However, if you go to a doctor and you're still re-exposing yourself, you have to understand you may feel better initially, but you're going to plateau because again, while you're now detoxifying a little bit faster, you're still exposing yourself to the environment. So it's kind of a two-step process. I think improving the environment first makes a lot of sense. So now you have a clean environment to heal in. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And I love what you said about the inflammation because what's interesting is inflammation is the the um, kind of the baseline factor for like every disease, as I understand it. Yeah. It's yeah. like inflammation is that uh, common thread for everything. So, you know, even depression is correlated with a, um, an inflammation of the brain and there's inflammation with cancer and diabetes and, and, you know, the list keeps going. So, um, it can, you know, create, um, cooling down the body and getting a handle on inflammation, reducing inflammation is so beneficial in general for our health. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been so interesting. Are there any other things that that are helpful for people to know as they as they navigate life and <laughs> trying to cohabitate yeah. with uh, without or with these little spores? <laughs> Hopefully, without. Yes, them? definitely. I mean, you know, if if you ever find yourself in a situation where you really need, uh, you know, some a professional to do an inspection, um, I want to give some tips on how to find a good inspector, how to find a good remediator. As I think that that's really so crucial. Um, you know, I give a lot of free resources on my website, which I'm happy to provide. And um, one of the things I think you want to look for is someone who's going to be very thorough. We've all bought a home before and had a, a home inspection. I won't say we all, but most of us anyway. And, you know, in that home inspection, they do a pretty thorough job. They're usually in, you know, like, you know, four hours or so, really looking at every nook and cranny. Unfortunately, they don't. Most of them don't actually have an education in mold. There's not a very big mold section in getting your, you know, uh, home inspection license. So it's, it's very little, but you want to have like a mold inspector who kind of operates in the same fashion where they're checking every nook and cranny. So I always ask, like, if I'm looking for a mold inspector, I would ask how, you know, how long do you expect this to take? If they're like, oh, no, it'll be 15, 20 minutes in and out. They're probably not the right fit for you. Because you want someone who's really going to do a deep dive into the home, spend like multiple hours in the home, look for any potential problems. This way they can, you know, kind of let you know that, hey, these these areas should be tested. I, I'm concerned about these areas and give you a full picture. The other thing I'd ask is like, ask if they plan to test the HVAC. If they start telling you they don't think it's necessary, then I would think that they probably don't have a really big understanding of how mold works. And so and that's the thing. I mean, you got to understand to, to get a mold license, it's a three-day class. There's not a, not you're not going to learn everything in three days. So, just because they've been doing it for 30 years and and have, and have a license doesn't necessarily mean that they really are looking for things from a science and medical-based perspective, because the industry standards are really more based on a construction kind of a perspective. So it's it's really different what needs to be out there versus what's out there. So. Definitely ask them some questions on how they plan to do it. You could also ask them what testing strategies they plan to implement. So, 
there's a test out there. It's, it's MSQPCR technology. And they have some, some acronyms that they've, they've created. One's called ERMI, Hurts Me, Emma. Um, and what those is, those test the dust to see what levels of contamination are in the dust. It's not going to tell you where the mold's coming from. It's not going to give you a, a scope of work to operate off of to remove mold from their house. But it'll tell you if the house is highly contaminated and, and if, that's, if that's the stuff that's in your environment that you're breathing in. Now, if, if a company doesn't even know what an ERMI test is or starts telling you that they don't agree with that test or don't think it's right, that might tell you that, you know, they're, again, they're, they're not really doing this from a medical-based approach. So those are some good questions to ask. On the remediation side, you know, you, you, the first question you want to ask is and you want to call the remediator after you have the report from the inspector so you know what needs to be done. You want to send that report to get an estimate from the remediation company. And I think you want to make sure that they agree with the report and are willing to do what's in the report. Because if they start going off on another tangent of how they would do things, you know, that again, that's that's kind of the way our industry works, where everyone has their, the right to their own opinion. You're not aligning yourself with the data that you have. So if you know you have mold, we don't want to hear how this guy plans to do it. We want him to follow the report recommendations by the inspector who knows the extent of the problem based upon the data. So that's a key to making sure the mold remediation company understands how to read the report, is knowledgeable in the field, and, and definitely agrees and is willing to work, you know, with the scope of work on the report. The other thing, you know, I, we, we usually ask people, are you licensed and insured? And I think, you know, that's still an important question, of course, but it's in the mold world, it's, it's way more than being licensed and insured. You really want to make sure that they're, you know, going to do the right thing that's needed. And you want to make sure that they're covering the three fundamentals. Are they re removing the source of mold? Are they correcting the condition that allow that source to grow? And are they planning to clean up the contamination and getting an understanding to make sure that their proposal encompasses those three things you should be in, in better hands than most people because they don't know better. Okay. That's great info. So you mentioned your website and we'll put the uh, link for your website in the show notes. Sure. And if there's any, any other information that is helpful, we can uh, yeah, provide that as well. Great. Well, this is really helpful. Thank you so much. So check out Michael's book again, it's mold medic. And um, just kind of be on the forefoot as, as best you can to, um, to stay healthy and, and keep the mold contained and, and remediated, really. <laughs> Get it out of there and remediate it. So, well, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. Oh, thank you so much, Kara, for having me. And uh, hope it was a great, informative podcast for all of you. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Take care. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening. And I look forward to the next meditation conversation. Mm -hmm.